I got to carry on the the Frank Wilson legacy, guys. <laughs> You've been Wilson, have you, uh, Tim? Has anybody here not been Wilson? I, I have no idea what that means. You have no idea what I'm talking about? Yeah, I have me neither. Tech Hockey Guide presents the Chasing McNaughton Podcast, covering the Michigan Tech Huskies and the CCHA with your host, Tim Brown, Rob Gilreath, Dustin Lindstrom, and Matt Cavender. Welcome to episode 13 of the season three of the Chasing McNaughton Podcast presented by Tech Hockey Guide. I'm Tim Brown, your host, and I'm joined this week by Dustin Lindstrom. Hey, everyone. Rob Gilreath. Hey, guys. And Matt Cavender. Hello, everybody. Our special guest this week is Dr. Bill Sproul, Professor Emeritus of the Civil, Environmental, and Geospatial Engineering. Uh, I don't know when you guys added geospatial, but that wasn't there when I was a student, at least not uh, on the list. It was just CEE. They just added it in the fall, early oh, fall. Okay. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Sproul. Thank you for the invitation. Please yeah. be here. Uh, this week we'll chat about Dr. Sp- uh, with Dr. Sproul about his latest book, Michigan Tech Hockey, 100 Years of Memories. And I'm sure we'll touch on his other hockey-related work, Houghton, the birthplace of professional hockey. Uh, after our chat with Dr. Sproul, we'll get into this weekend against St. Thomas, uh, the Joe Sean Hour. We'll do a little run around the CCHA with what happened last weekend and the first half of the season. Maybe talk about some of the bigger events in the USHL and wrap up discussing our thoughts on the GLI this year. Anything I'm missing, guys? Uh, fantasy? No, we're no, not doing fantasy no, this no week. Fantasy. Oh, that's There's right. not enough yeah. games this week. We can do. That's we right. can just do a real quick like recap of what what happened, happened last week. But that's that'll, fine. Yeah. But that'll take 20, a couple minutes. Twenty seconds. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, I think that's it, Don. All right. Before we head to the little commercial break, I have actually scheduled a quarterly Zoom chat. Uh, for Tuesday, December 21st at 9 p.m. Eastern with former Husky and current Norwich head coach Cam Ellsworth. This is available to all our patrons, so go to patreon.com slash techhockeyguide and sign up at any level to have access to that. Um, We'll get that posted up on Patreon here probably tomorrow when I stop being lazy and I get better at uh, being productive before Christmas here after being laid up for five weeks, so... Uh, let's do the thank you notes plus a brief note from our sponsors and get back to talk about uh, talk with Dr. Sproles about his books and on Michigan Tech and Houghton area hockey history. Fibke Dental is a general dentistry practice located in downtown Rhinelander, Wisconsin, home of the Hodag. Look online at fibkedental.com or find them on Facebook. They do pain-free dentistry for kids, adults, people that went to great schools, and people that ended up at Northern Michigan. Stop in and say hi between 8 and 5 and tell them THG sent you. That is F-I-E-B-K-E dental.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, welcome back. So let's get right into things with Dr. Bill Sproul. I don't know if you know this, but I was in your department for six years, but I don't think we ever crossed paths because I was an environmental engineer. We never took those easy courses in civil. That's the problem. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Uh, uh, how exactly did a civil engineer get into hockey enough to write not one, but two books about hockey in the copper country? Well, uh, uh, you probably took perspectives on inquiry and in, when you were a freshman at Tech. Uh, it started uh, oh, 2002-2003 at Tech and uh, it was a course designed to replace freshman English. Uh, freshman English was getting a little dry and they had a tough time finding people. So uh, they, uh, a group in the English department, uh, General Ed, uh, decided, well, we could put together kind of a a format for uh, helping students learn how to write papers, make presentations, and, and critical thinking. And so uh, rather than, and then what they did was call for instructors across the campus to uh, offer um, courses uh, on, to do those things. And uh, there were courses like John Wayne movies, the Supreme Court, and a colleague suggested, well, why don't you do one on hockey? So that's that's what I did. Uh, and as I was learning, started to gather up materials. Uh, I, I originally from Canada, so the, the course was hockey history and culture. So I grew up with hockey, followed hockey, and I coached hockey uh, in the Copper Country uh, when I arrived at Tech. And uh, and as I'm starting to dig around, I, I came across this article that that Houghton was the birthplace of professional hockey. As a Canadian, a little skeptical on this story. <laughs> Can't believe that. And so that required, that was the summer of digging to find more about the story. And uh, that led to a membership in the Society for International Hockey Research. And uh, the, the Houghton story uh, wrote a few papers and then it, it became a book. Uh, it came out a couple of years ago. And as I was finishing that book, uh, the athletic director of Tech said, uh, would you be interested in doing a Michigan Tech book? And I said, well, it's kind of an interesting. I, I actually graduated from Tech in 1970 and always followed Tech hockey. So, so that's where that kind of my covert project was uh, the Michigan Tech hockey book. And, uh, and it was released last week. So yeah. I just want to know how... How I missed a perspectives class that could have been hockey related instead of what I did take 20 years ago. <laughs> that that was a little bit before my time. Do you remember what you took? A little bit after. I don't. I, I remember the professor. She was she she volunteered with uh, the mental health hotline up there. I don't I don't remember her name. That's about all I remember from the class. <laughs> it wasn't hockey related though. That's all I remember. <laughs> so it started about early 2000, 2002. Was at the, this course was uh, I never decided who got in. It was kind of a, almost like a lottery who got yeah. in. And, um, <laughs> and, there, and I think the hockey coaches even limited how many of their players could take the course. <laughs> um, yeah, my freshman year was 2003, 2004. So it was right around there because I had yeah. perspectives. Yeah, yeah you, and, and uh, they did it for probably about 10 years. And then they... Then the general education changed and they got away from perspectives. I think what was happening is that they were 
I uh, had a tough time filling the, um, so I couldn't find enough instructors to do the job. So, uh, but I know that I, yeah, I know that I tried course. to get in that course, but yeah. I lost the lottery. <laughs> yeah. It was a, it was a great course. Um, I think that, you know, you never were tested on hockey. You were, um, just gave you the basics of writing papers and depending on what your, your major was, we could adapt to your topic. You know, if you're a mechanical engineer and you want to do something on helmet testing, well, we, we led you that way. If you were in um, um, civil engineering, got into arenas, or if you were in uh, kinesiology or well, nutrition stuff. So we went all different ways uh, for kind of introducing how do you find, how do you put together paper? And then the uh, critical thinking paper was uh, kind of um, your argument on certain things. So everybody has an argument on maybe fighting in hockey. So you had to present your, your case, uh, document your case for your opinion. Um, it was really quite good because we had some in the class that had hardly understood anything about hockey. And then we had some hockey players that, from Canada that, really had the culture. So the question that kind of each perspective had a question related. So the question was, is there, is there hockey culture? And there is just like there is a stamp collecting culture. There's a certain culture to anything. So it, uh, it worked out quite well. We, we actually had the uh, hockey coach would come in uh, during the semester because one of the assignments was they had to go to the hockey game and write a review. So uh, the hockey coach would come in and explain what you what what you look for and how do you measure how well the Huskies would play. And uh, so for for some students that uh, never really been to a, understood the game, it was just a great introduction. And the hockey coaches just loved to do it. Um, we often had a, a tech hockey player come in and talk about life as a tech hockey player. So. Uh, kind of was a nice opportunity to um, to uh, for students to understand more about hockey. Sounds great. Uh, so when I was reading up on your little profile there on Michigan Tech, it said you were the faculty athletic representative. What is that? Uh, basically, the faculty athletic representative at Michigan Tech is appointed by the president to oversee the athletic department and the student uh, athlete welfare. You know, you're kind of a voice for the students. I would attend all of the NCA meetings. I would go to the WCHA meetings. I would oversee that uh, all the players were certified properly, met the requirements uh, to be, uh, um, you know, that were eligible to play. Um, I would sat on several committees on uh, uh, drug drug rules, um, search committees, all these different things. So a number of committees, uh, constitutional ones for the WCHA or the, or GLIAC. Uh, so you're kind of, uh, kind of an oversight that you really are kind of, uh, feedback to the faculty, I guess, really is what on the programs. Now, Michigan Tech, uh, really runs a pretty, pretty good operation. So we rarely had uh, a situation where faculty was complaining about students, okay? yeah, uh, about student athletes. So 
in some schools they would uh, upset over schedules or upset over what students were doing. Um, we also would uh, students student athletes would have a an opportunity to appeal any decision on their scholarships. Uh, so we would uh, we would be involved in those types of decisions. That is almost like a uh, a review panel. So kind of a nice opportunity to be involved with tech. Nice. And yeah, there's only been a it's been a pretty limited amount of them too. You're only like the fifth or sixth or something like that, right? From tech since they've been there. Yeah, there hasn't been too many. The long tenure. The uh, the usually it's about a ten year tenure. And you're, most people retire and lose their job. Uh, the current uh, the fact that athletic rep was uh, Joel Tornini. He's uh, okay. an accounting professor in the uh, School of Business at I had him College of <laughs> Business. So Joel is uh, currently the uh, the faculty athletic rep. And before before me, it was uh, Pat Joyce. Uh, he was in the School of Business. I know too. I know Pat well. <laughs> yeah, he had he he was the he was the faculty athletic rep for about 10 years. Um, when, when a university has an NCA program, the requirement is that they have a faculty athletic rep. And uh, Michigan Tech uh, got status in the NCA in 1948. So they've had a faculty rep ever since then. So, but there haven't been that many of them. I, I actually put it in the hockey book because the I'm trying to find it and I can't. <laughs> oh, you have to look at the right place. It's in. Uh, yeah, I I read it last night and prep for talking tonight. So okay, well it's in. Uh, it's on page twenty. Well, so I I knew it was in there somewhere, but I couldn't remember where it was. I was looking behind there. So yeah, you you, you were uh, quite right, report. Rob. I was the fifth one. There's there's only been six in its history. <laughs> I'm pretty good at cramming the night before a test kind of thing. So I okay, read, <laughs> read most of the book. I got so pretty much everybody at tech. If they got through it is pretty good at that. Oh, yes. My... <laughs> well, you might be excited, Tim. Your name got in the book, the Michigan Tech book. Did it? Yeah, you're in there. Yep. I didn't you're in see there. it. Okay. Well, you got you to gotta read the whole book. It's in the last yeah. chapter. Well, I don't, I didn't, I asked for it for Christmas. I, I, I paged through it a little bit while I was up there this weekend. And some other lady was was saw your Houghton history of the professional hockey book and was like, oh, that must be the new one. I'm like, no, this is and handed it to her. And yeah. it was like the last copy that was out at the time. And she's like, are you buying? I'm like, no, I asked for it for Christmas. Here you go. <laughs> the uh, Well, you, you got in because there's a section of Mitch's, Mitch's Misfits. Oh, wonderful. So a little founding of Mrs. Mitch's Misfits, but also who is Mitch? Uh, so for many... Uh, uh, I kind of put it that way. I've called it a hundred years of memories and everybody will have some memories. Yeah. So I can include a couple of pages in there that uh, one can write their own memories. Uh, so you can, uh, you can complete the book. Uh, nice. I've got plenty of them. <laughs> well, that's that. Well, you can add more pages too yeah. to your book. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I told a few of those stories this weekend. So. I know Rob's dad. I talked to him, and I didn't include it, but uh, his first date with his mom was that tech hockey game. Yep. So. Yep. 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 That's a that's a well told story around the house as you're, well. You weren't conceived <laughs> at a hockey game, well, you're well. Nope. The the idea is there. <laughs> the right? idea was there. Yes, the idea was conceived <laughs> at a hockey game. Yep. Yeah, we we grew up going to the games all the time. There's a there's a, a clipping that's still on my parents' fridge 
of my sister and she's got to be six months old in my dad's arm at a Northern game. Yes. So, you know, there's, there's a, there's a lot of that there. I grew up in the SDC basically every weekend. So it's, and then, you know, the tie ends, the history in the area, this is, this is like the perfect combination of my interest outside yes. of work. You know, like, well, your dad and I have had a lot of chats about the railroads in the copper country. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, I, I did like I did little notes of each of the decades. I kind of took down like little little things as I was reading through it last night. I think one of the interesting things is uh, I'm assuming St. Thomas College is the predecessor to St. Thomas University, right? It is. It is. So you can look at uh, look back in the history that in the early years they did play St. Thomas. Oh, so yeah, it wasn't technically the first our, time. Interesting. No, I thought this is our first time ever playing them. It's actually one of the earliest teams we played as a university intercollegiate yes. was St. Thomas. Yes, it uh, it was in those early years. Uh, and yeah, then, 1921 is the first year I got it. <laughs> yep, and then the after a few years, then they then they. Uh, then they just started playing uh, kind of local teams there in the in the twenties, uh, a lot of just local teams. Yep. And then they kind of uh, a rebirth, and they started to play some of the university teams again. But yeah, uh, the intercollegiate stuff kind of dropped off in the thirties, from what I could tell from from leafing through. It, it became more ex- exactly right. It was games with the local teams. They played a lot of games in Wausau. They played a, a De Pere and Appleton team, Tim, in okay. the thirties. They they took a trip down where they played uh, they played in the Fox Valley and then took one of the car ferries across the lake to play uh, to play Muskegon or Ludington and come okay. back. So that was that was one of the actual trips was a uh, was a Lake Michigan crossing was a part of the trip too. Nice. I thought that was was real interesting. Yeah, I actually have uh, like there was a point where I started to go through like the PDF I have of an old media guide. And I was trying to copy and paste it and put it like, make my own chart of like all the records. And I gave up very quickly because the formatting did not work at all. And it was way too much work to clean it up after the fact <laughs> to try and like figure out all these random teams that we've played and how many times and all that stuff. I gave up very quickly on that. They played actually the University of Minnesota more than anybody else. Yep. Yeah, that's the number one opponent. And that's like North Dakota and and uh, Denver are quite high up there too as yes. well, right? Yeah, I think I've got somewhere in there. You've, you've you, since you since you just read it last night, you probably know exactly where it is, Rob. Yeah, it's it's toward the back there. There's a list of them in, in one of the in one of them as it starts to talk through the the, the most played opponents. I also thought I, I've got a good buddy who's been on the podcast before when we played Fairbanks. It, it, we played the Nanex before they were the Nanex <laughs> in the 30s. Mm-hmm. There was yeah. a trip where they, they came down and they were called the Polar Bears instead, which Nanex is just polar bear in, in one of the local Native American That's languages, it. right? That's so, it. Yeah, yeah we, we played we played the, the pre-Nanex at one point in the 30s. In the 40s, we went out to California. I had no idea that was a thing. We I knew that. To California. I told I you, I've that. told you about that before. Have I? I didn't know. Yes, I don't because, remember it. Because when we were researching the belt on USCHO, oh, okay. sure, Michigan sure. Tech lost their last game to to UCLA or Cal or whatever. It's UCLA, isn't it? I think. Uh, Southern uh, Cal. Well, they that? played Southern Cal and then they okay. played uh, California Berkeley. Okay, because I literally like contacted the SIDs to ask them if they could find the hockey schedule so I could figure out who Cal had played next. So I could figure oh, out who got how the belt went. went back. 
or if it died there. And then I think after we did more research, we realized that Tech didn't have the belt when they played Cal, so it didn't matter. Uh, but it was fun digging through all that and bugging. Because I remember bugging them. I remember bugging uh, the Billikens SID for info about St. Louis. I'm sure the USC SID loved you asking them about hockey hockey, yeah. hockey schedules from the 30s. I was like, yeah, no, yeah. He's trying to figure out what Lane Kiffin's going to do next. And Hey, <laughs> I got to carry on the, the Frank Wilson legacy, guys. Have you been <laughs> Wilson? Have you, uh, <laughs> Has anybody here not been Wilson? I, I have no idea. You have what no idea means. what I'm talking about. Yep, this, uh, You've never randomly been contacted by Frank Wilson to go dig up a newspaper in in the archives at Michigan Tech or anything like that. Oh no, my! I, I I have no idea what you're how, talking how about. How am I the only one here that's had that happen? Oh, I well, I, I, I'm, I'm sure you have. I just meant I couldn't believe the, Dustin, uh, Rob, and Matt had not. Frank Frank Wilson. I've never met him, but he is in in Madison, okay. and he'll have some obscure fact. And he will contact the, uh, uh, you know, Calvin Larson or anybody at yep. Tech, the S, the AD, uh, anybody that will listen can spell hockey. He'll take a shot yep. at, and so um, he'll try the archives, and uh, he'll have to dig all kinds. I of can't stuff. believe you haven't been Matt because um, I swear he asked like every misfit president he could get his hands on for help. I know Beth Lynn's been asked. I know. I, I know at least a handful of people that have been Frank Wilson, but I never, and it's not like I kept a low profile no, either. Maybe. So, so we, uh, so the the expression is you've been Wilson. Okay. If you uh, get an email from uh, from Frank Wilson, did, did that make it in the book? Um, uh, no, I didn't include Frank Wilson, but I answered a lot of questions he keeps okay. calling about. Well, maybe maybe he'll stop calling then. <laughs> I know. Uh, maybe maybe it was Beth Lynn's fault. Maybe she gave him my number. Maybe that's what happened. Well, they they'll track you down no matter what. Uh, I got ticked off one time when he phoned at home and was upset that I wasn't moving fast enough on his request. <laughs> yeah, he he's something else. I'll tell you that. I know. Yeah. And uh, so I just said, "Well, why don't you just come up to?" You know, like drive up to Houghton, spend a couple hours in the archives, and you'll find out it's not that easy to find some of this uh, information. Yeah. yeah, I know there was a point we tried, uh, like when Tech got ranked in like 2007. Is that around the first okay. time they got ranked in a while, Dustin? Like, it must have been. In a while, yeah. I think that's right. the first yeah, time they were like right. ever ranked in the current polls. So yeah. we tried to go back to the Wimple poll and find out the last time tech was ranked in that one, because it's not mm -hmm. online like the rest of them are. Um, yeah. And I actually remember going to the library or asking a current president to go to the library and look it all up to try and answer that question. Cause I saw Sloshman or somebody like him say something about how they'd never been ranked before. And I'm like, in the current poll, there was a poll before these two guys. So I remember trying to find the answer to the last time we were ranked in the Wimple poll. And I think it was like uh, the year before we um, won that 10, 10 versus one playoff series. I think the season before that. So was that 91, 92? I think we had a good run that got us ranked and then we fell off at some point that year. 
Well, one of the things that uh, you really look back to is the um, uh, when the, in, it was 1972 that Bob Olson and his wife, this is on page 286, uh, Rob. Uh, I can follow along. Bob Olson and his <laughs> wife uh, founded the nation's first college hockey pool, the Wimple Pool. And a few years later, they started a clearinghouse of all college hockey. So it's early 70s when they started with the polls. And so you can imagine that Michigan Tech was ranked uh, number one there, you know, 74, 75, 76 era. Yep. And so it's uh, another gem we put in there that uh, one of the things I found is that, um, you know, uh, I've actually probably read the hundred years of, um, of the daily mining gazettes during uh, hockey season. So I went through either the hard copy or uh, microfilm of, of all the daily mining gazettes to check scores and check things. And I found errors in previous stuff. I also read every load <laughs> in hundred years too, as part of the work. That sounds like fun. Uh, the load didn't well, come out weekly. It was kind of maybe every month or so the load would come out. Yeah. Um, and the other source is uh, all the tech had a yearbook uh, from the 19, I think the first was 1924 was the first yearbook okay. they had it went to about 2000 that's when they had a yearbook and you they'd often they put depending on the staff how complete some of the information was yeah. <laughs> so you kind of put it fun putting it all together and digging out uh, the other thing that was kind of cool was was finding that there's been about 800 players that played it at one got letters at michigan mm -hmm. tech and so I was able to find the hometown for all 800 players. So, so did you find some errors on our on our older hockey yearbooks, or? Uh, I'm yes, sure. There's a few. Yeah. I know I found a couple of them when I was looking, but there there may still be a few errors in. in oh, in I, I'm here, sure. But uh, <laughs> you, there's going to be people. Well, Frank Wilson will find them. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I, I I did skim through the list of the, the players in the back, too, just kind of curious of what states, you know, just to see kind of a, a random smattering. And the one that surprised me the most is, like, we've had four or five people from Rhode Island. <laughs> yes, yes. Apparently Rhode Island was a hotbed in the 20s or 30s or something like that, whenever that group came over. <laughs> a lot of, you know, really kind of look at the history of Michigan Tech, and that's why I put in that first chapter, uh, I guess the chapter two was, a little background on Michigan Tech, and it was really uh, a mining school for many years. And uh, and unless you wanted to be a, a miner or major mining engineering, you wouldn't come to Michigan Tech um, or the Michigan College of Mines. So the University of Michigan used to get a lot of players of the Copper Country because they didn't want to go. They didn't want to be a mining engineer, <laughs> so they went to Michigan instead. Uh, it was harder yep. to make the, the uh, Michigan College of Mining team than it was to the University of Michigan team. So, Interesting. So a lot of good stories in there tucked away uh, first and uh, kind of a collection of a lot of stuff that, you know, and I guess one of the things I did was uh, contact a lot of uh, former hockey players. So where do you start? Well, I, I contacted players that play in the NHL or, those who were MVPs or captains of the team. And 
and kind of mixed response. But my major question, why was it so special to play at Michigan Tech? Or, or do you have a special memory that you're willing to share? And that's why I got some of the stories in there. So, Yeah, the little anecdotes are really neat. As you hit whatever era they played in, you get the little anecdote in the side or you know, in the text there. They're, those are good. So one of our writers, who's also one of our patrons, uh, Mike Antleitner, wants to know, what's your favorite moment in tech hockey history? That's a tough question. Uh, I remember get, uh, catch, getting a puck in a 1970 game. I still have the puck. And <laughs> at the D, behind, uh, at that time, you had to, you would, uh, tickets were hard to come by. You could only get a ticket for, as a student, one night, either Friday or Saturday. You would, they'd have a, people would line up all night to get their ticket, uh, their season ticket. And um, so seniors would get the priority and uh, freshmen would be lucky to get to a game. Um, I know I had, uh, I think as a senior, I had uh, one ticket for Friday night games at the D. They were packed, a whole different experience behind the chicken wire. <laughs> so does the D warm up when it's full of people or is it still just as cold? Well, I probably, I don't remember that, but it's, uh, <laughs> I don't remember that part. Uh, people would go out uh, to get warm outside and in the lobby. Uh, or uh, sometimes they would uh, think you could go out to the library bar between parades and let you still back in. So it's, uh... <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, the D is the D is always frigid. I didn't I didn't realize that there was such a big push to have it to get actual ice too, or to get re refrigeration in there. It yes, was a, uh, that it was an actual appropriation from the state. It looked like. Right. Yes, the, the uh, state uh, helped contribute, and uh, Senator Roy was one of the main uh, uh, people that read the story in there that uh, we have a couple of quotes that I got out of newspapers at the time that this was going to make Tech the ultimate uh, college hockey uh, place because of artificial ice. It was, yeah, uh, be, hockey would be the Tech as college uh, football as the Notre Dame or something like that was his quote, right? Exactly yeah. right, exactly <laughs> <Yeah>. right. <laughs> So yeah, it's not not necessarily untrue for a few years there in the sixties mm -hmm. and seventies, though. Oh yes, uh, tech was uh, you know really the McGinnis era was really quite an amazing time at Tech, and it, talking to to former players, the respect that they had for John McGinnis was just amazing. Um, and they you know many uh, went on and coached, and they just talk about uh, um, John McGinnis and his. His fairness uh, in his treatment of players. A great story I had uh, uh, with Mike Zook, and if you, in the forward, uh, I, the connection with Mike, uh, he played. And he's he's the uh, top scorer and top point getter for Michigan Tech. And uh, when I decided, well, I'll get somebody to write the forward. Mike was a nice connection and. The reading there, he's, we're both from Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, both graduated from Tech. And uh, my dad was his family dentist. Mike's dad yeah. was, the post, <laughs> was the postman that just delivered uh, mail to my dad every year. So uh, we always joked this. Uh, my dad was probably a, a recruiter for Michigan Tech at the time. But uh, <laughs> um, Mike has a great story. Uh, when he was, uh, you know, home for Christmas uh, and then came back to Tech, I guess he couldn't get a ride, so he hitchhiked back 
from from Sioux, Canada across the UP, uh, and he, he was trying to get back for an afternoon practice. Well, he he, he was an All American top scorer. Well, he arrived an hour late for the practice, and uh, so he was quite heavily penalized by uh, John McGinnis for being late to practice. Uh, he, <laughs> your top player. Um, and that was that's the way John always would. He would. There was no favorites. He, you earned your you earned your ice time. You earned your spot um, on on the Huskies at the time. But great respect, yeah, it's, for John. It's always I'm always kind of curious to see how long he would have been able to go had he not gotten sick. You know, I don't think he would have retired after for health problems. I think he'd have been around for quite a few more years. Yes, he, he was. Uh, he had several opportunities uh, during his time at Tech uh, to to go someplace else, or people would be asking him to, you know. Yeah, but he he was quite committed to Michigan Tech. He just knew, and, and really, we look at it. His um, his greatest joy was having his students graduate and be successful. Yep, and Jerry Jerry reminds us of that uh, every year, which I, I love her speech at Winter Carnival every year. She yeah. goes up there off the cuff and gives a speech that's slightly different every year, but always has that message to it too. And it's one of my favorite traditions of Winter Carnival is is uh, is her speaking. I look sat forward down, to that I every sat year. Sat down with uh, Jerry quite a bit before the book, and uh, just a, just a pleasure to talk to her. The other person locally is Bill Lucier, and Bill was the really kind of the first official assistant coach at Tech in the. Uh, in mid mid fifties, but uh, uh, just some great stories and such respect for for Jerry for uh, for, for McGinnis. Yeah, and it's one of those things I always I always remind, like when I'm talking to Minnesota fans, is that uh, you know they everybody talks about Herb's Brooks and how he went and did the Miracle on Ice, but yeah. you know John said no to the job. Well, <laughs> and John Brooks said, was third choice. <laughs> yeah, John said no to the job because of the some of his health issues at the time. Yep, but he was uh, he was the first choice for that uh, uh, 1980 Olympic team, uh, but John uh, turned him down because he just knew knew the travel was going to be too hard. Yeah, I didn't realize he did a, a trip to the Soviet Union to tour either. That's that was that's a fact I didn't know until reading last night. I was, I was quite it, surprised by that. He uh, he, uh, you could probably I can't remember what year it was, but it was shortly after um, Philadelphia, so it'd be early seventies or so, I guess, wouldn't it? Or when Philadelphia won the Stanley Cup, there was a, a group out of uh, Montreal that put together kind of a a session to go to Russia. This is early seventies uh, to go to Russia, to learn the Russian system and, and how they played hockey. John was part of that group that went to Russia in the early seventies. Uh, and then when he returned, he, um, he introduced several of the uh, Russian techniques in practice and also the game approach they were using. So the famous series is the Canada Russia series of 72 that's when it changed hockey it changed the way they trained it changed uh, many of the things that were done and John and learned in Russia many of the techniques he actually kind of an interesting part to that is he came home before the course actually finished because oh, he, got sick of, he got he got tired of Russian food <laughs> he said and so he came home and never officially got his 
certificate for completing the course. <laughs> that is yeah. rather ironic for a guy that wanted kids to graduate, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he, yeah. it, it, you know, that was just before that, uh, the streak in the mid-70s that uh, tech dominated. And he was, he it introduced many of these Russian techniques of training and drills and uh, some of the on, on, on ice things that they were doing, you know, puck handling and, and so on. Yeah, I don't know when it switches. It's really in the early, like the first couple, the first couple of pitchers are you see the positions and then the the old position types, right? Where it's the point or whatever they have their old names. It switches relatively quickly to to you know the normal positions we think of now. When does that change actually happen? Do you know off the top of your head? Yeah, the the uh, in the nineteen teens is when they got rid of uh, as a couple of new leagues came along. They got rid of the player called the the rover. The right. rover was kind of your best player of the early hockey where they um, and, and uh, some of the early pro teams in Canada got rid of the rover because they could save some money. Didn't use many oh, okay. players. <laughs> sure. uh, defensemen started to uh, went from cover point and, and uh, point where in, in the early hockey, one would play in front of the other and they just play in the defensive end. Uh, it went to more playing side by side in the twenties. Okay. And then those uh, first, and those they couple just and they just stayed in the um, uh, uh, defensive end. And really, the person that you know, Bobby Orr, was probably the biggest change in the role of the defenseman, and that was in the late sixties, early seventies. And, and he was the rushing defenseman, and that changed the style the defenseman played. Prior to that, this defenseman just stayed back in the defensive zone, didn't do much. Um, but Bobby Orr changed it. I mean, if you've ever tried to skate backwards on old leather skates like that, you know why they had to stick where they were. I mean, those things are oh, – my dad's got – my. they're from my, my grandpa over in, in the western – the east side of the UP in the, uh, near the Sioux. We've got a pair of his old hockey skates that are leather. My dad's actually worn them to a couple of skate with the Huskies. And they are <laughs> – I don't know how you manage to stand up in those things. They're nearly impossible uh, before you get to a modern hockey skate. They're pretty wild. And I love talking about, like – that kind of history of the game. But I, I always think that there's always debate about what the biggest advancement to the game was over time. And I think it was that the forward pass originally was illegal in the game. Right. Yeah. It was like, rugby. You, style. It was, you had yeah, to go it was, backwards. You, yeah. you, it was not legal to pass the puck forward at a time. And I don't remember exactly when that was, but that was, that's definitely would be quite the change if you were to see that in the game today. Nobody's going to get yelled at for not giving it to the headman. Change that, Matt. Somewhere the around day. the 20s? Yeah, in the 20s is when the forward pass came into play that you could pass forward. Uh, for the early years, you had to carry the puck and and um, then you pass it back. So so uh, a favorite move of some of the early players, uh, uh, Fred Taylor was probably the best at the time. He would carry the puck for as the rover. He would carry the puck forward and station himself behind the net and then pass it out to this, his, uh, his wingman standing in front of the net. And uh, you probably recognize the guy that made that move famous, a fellow named Wayne Gretzky. And that was Gretzky's <laughs> office. He kind of did that uh, in the, in the, uh, during his career. Yeah, that's still a, still a play that's pretty common today, but it's kind of funny because for reference, yes. I'm 25, so – 
when I started off thinking about what the biggest advancement in hockey ever was, my brain immediately goes to goaltending because in my lifetime, that has been the biggest change. We have gone from a stand-up style where there's goals that were going in that a goalie would get sent to the ECHL if they went to, let in today with the, with the advent of the butterfly. So I think that's the biggest major change I've seen in my lifetime. So I'm like, that must be the biggest change like ever. And then someone was like, did you know they couldn't pass the puck forward in the beginning of the game? <laughs> <laughs> well, the other interesting goalie rule at the time, the goalie was not allowed to go down. Yeah, that was another one. That was the early uh, earlier rules of hockey. The goalie was not allowed to go down. If he did, he'd get a penalty. <laughs> and so it was, I think, the 19 teens that they changed that rule. I think you got to mention there too of one one of the arenas where the support beams or something like that were a problem with the play, the flow of play or something like that. <laughs> a lot a lot of the uh, early hockey arenas were converted curling rinks. And oh, curling, okay, so they have a center line. I got you. And, uh, sure. So they would have these uh, uh, poles in the middle of the uh, the rink, and we're just going to play them. hockey there. So so if you're not used to playing it. <laughs> you run into a pole. So it's, yeah. uh, you could use it to your home ice advantage. Sounds like football before they move the goalpost back. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, so, yeah. There's probably some rough injuries because of that. Well, the Canadian football still has their goalposts on the goal line. Yep. Yeah, and it's That's also a mile long back there. Yeah, 15 yards to work with. You asked me a good question, Tim. What was my ultimate memory and I guess putting together the book would be one because <laughs> discovering all this stuff. Uh, but uh, every player, every team will have several memories. And it's kind of, uh, I think that's the idea is that it'll, you all have memories of something at Michigan Tech Hockey. So you can, you can fill them in. As you said, it may take you more than a couple of pages. But if you had to narrow your memory down to one key memory of Michigan Tech. I think um, I know it. It's, What's your key memory? October eighteenth, two thousand three. The reason that yeah. we are talking right now. It's in the book in several Is spots. Yeah. <laughs> oh yes. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah. mentioned. I, yeah. yeah. But it's, it's kind of interesting that memory that people do have, and uh, if you talk to players, they they don't they they rarely remember the scores. They never remember the scores. They don't even remember the records of when they were there. It's something else, that camaraderie among their teammates. And I think it, probably everybody has played a, college, uh, a youth sport. You know, you can remember, you, you forget uh, the results of games or how your team did, but you just remember your, your teammates. So. Yeah. Very true. And I think that's what made them that. They have a story, or, but it's, it's their teammates and, and those types of things. Yeah, for sure. It's it's, and then so you got you capture a bunch of them, and there's just, those little anecdotes are fun. They're, they're they're fun little, fun little bits and notes. And the other thing for me is growing up with it was just seeing some of the names that I hadn't seen in a really long time. But you remember, or like the the fact that we played the Czech national team. I remember remember sitting outside uh, waiting to get my 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 uh, you know my program signed from some of the Czech national team players or whatever, because there's someone from a different country coming to the copper country kind of thing as a kid, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, they, they came, I think, I think they came twice, I believe uh, in a couple of years, but it was always, it's always interesting. You know, 
names I haven't thought of in years because, you know, it, it, they were really lean years. And honestly, I was pretty young during a lot of those games, right? So yes. they're, they're, the, they're the guys that were hanging in my brother and his eyes' bedrooms with the, the every year the, the big poster for Skate with the Huskies or the, you know, the weekly one in the, in the, in the program, getting that mm-hmm. signed. So a lot of those names are, are names that I haven't seen in a very long time that I, you just start, you remember them really, really well. <laughs> so it's, it's neat to see. It was fun. I connected with a classmate of mine. Uh, I graduated in 70 with Ed Shillington. He and I did a couple of projects together as seniors. And uh, so I connected with him. He now lives in Edmonton. But when I emailed him, he was the top scorer around 1969, 70. And emailed him and and uh, just happy to do it. But within an hour after I emailed me, emailed he called me. We chatted away for a couple of hours. He credits me with getting him through structural engineering, but I sure don't remember that. He said we were at some bar in Hancock, and I showed explained the basics of structural engineering. So, but I'd always followed his career. Uh, he didn't make it to the NHL, but you'd see in the alumni magazine he led the consulting firms in in the Edmonton area, and he I guess he'd always followed me through the alumni stuff, but we never talked in 50 years until, till this, this opportunity. That's cool. Yep. Yeah. You know, the, the, the Mickish brothers were always a big, you know, they were local guys that played. So they were, you know, a big mm-hmm. name, like looking through the, the list of names in the back, Randy Stevens taught me how to skate at the, at the armory at a skate with the Huskies. Uh, he brought me out there with a chair and just like helped me around for yep. the longest time when I was in like first or second grade, you know? So, Little things like that and names like that that are in the book that it just jogs your memory and it was a, it was a it was a fun read last night just looking through all that stuff. Yeah, that's there's another little tidbit from the book too. I had no idea we were the first ones to wear plastic helmets. Yeah, that's kind of a fun story, is that uh, yeah. how much they were. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, what, the, five bucks a pop or something like that. That's right. I think five or six. Good, I think it was. <laughs> the other good story about that is uh, John McGinnis's first experimentation with uh, the, the goalie mask. Um, yep. Uh, uh, there were a couple of well, Jacques Plant was the first to kind of the new era goalie to wear a mask and a couple of manufacturers but John John developed this uh, goalie mask with one of their players and uh, and uh, and in their in their home and Jeremy McGinnis said don't do that again it's stinking up the home so, <laughs> <Yeah>. and, uh, <laughs> right and Scott McGinnis remembers the story about that too. Was uh, the uh, sure. fiberglass mask was sticking up the home? So, yeah, well. yeah a lot, a lot of good stories. Good and, uh, hopefully, it brings back good memories. We, uh, it's uh, we're f- very fortunate to have uh, Paul Kurtu uh, underwrote the cost of printing the uh, the book. I donated all my time and the cost of. Uh, book layout and editor and copy editors and all of the necessary things. I just donated that. So it's a, it's a, it's a, a, a book to benefit the hockey program. So all the money that, that comes back goes to the hockey program. Wonderful. So it's a, just a great initiative um, for, to, to get the, get the information out there. And uh, I, I guess it went on sale just a week, a week ago or, and uh, I was kidding Calvin Larson uh, as he sold the whole, all the ones we had printed. So, <laughs> ha ha. So, we, uh, and Calvin, what his role was, uh, 
talk with uh, Calvin. Uh, I really didn't do any writing, but but he was invaluable with keeping records from the past, and digging out photos that uh, out of their um, the archives, to, out of the athletic department archives too, and so a very valuable role. So it's uh, and I talk, I talked about Mike and his role as the writing the forward. So yeah, I got the. Uh... I got mine a couple of days ago. It came from the bookstore. It came, I, they had to have ordered, you know, a, a billion of those white plastic bags that they use at the bookstore. They've got the same supplier because the exact same bag you've gotten for, for years. Felt like I was buying a textbook again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they printed, get... they printed a bunch of them and uh, hopefully they're going to sell well. The, uh, the Houghton book is still available at the tech bookstore and, uh, and, uh, it's available in several local stores. The tech book will be right now, or I think it's starting to get into the local bookstores too. So uh, it starts see a great Christmas present for uh, for this guy. You don't know what to get your mom and dad I, you know, or yourself. I'm hoping to get waiting. one for Christmas for sure. I, I wasn't waiting. <laughs> so the, uh, yeah, you can, you know, the tech book store is set up nicely so that you can, People could order it online. Yeah, online was really easy. That's how I got mine. Yeah. So yeah, it worked real well. You're going to be doing some stuff at the 100 Year Celebration over over the summer too, right? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm going to be uh, a presentation at at the the uh, uh, celebration for the hockey reunion next summer. Um, I'll probably be at a couple events uh, with GLI uh, if they're figuring out the logistics of getting books down there to sign books. Uh, for some of the alumni events for that too. So um, anyways, it's kind of a fun thing. Yep. Yeah. We'll be, we'll be making sure we get back up for the alumni games this year. Those are always fun to see. So yeah, it'll be a trip home for us for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, anything else guys? No, I can, I mean, I can chat hockey history. I mean, copper country history all day long, but. Yeah. I don't think we want to, we don't want to go copper country history too hard. That's not what we're about exactly. Yeah, we could keep Bill all night if we wanted to. We got to let him go back to his family. Yeah. <laughs> we, we can have Bill on again. Maybe we'll try and have him on for one of the, one of the podcasts in the summer. What's that? We could do an off season podcast. It'd be a great topic. Yeah. We should have him on in the off season and talk about the, the pro hockey stuff some more. That'd be fun. Uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. Enjoy the holidays, and I'm sure we'll have you on again to talk more hockey and more stories as uh, as uh, the summer as the season goes on. And and uh, I'm sure we th- this would be great to have more time to talk to you and just focus on this in the off season, even. So that'd be great. We have we have lots of stories of uh, of uh, hockey in the Copper Country, and uh, a great great story. I've been doing. Um, radio shows with uh, Jimmy the Greek uh, locally. Ah, uh, uh, okay, sure. <laughs> and uh, tomorrow I'm going to talk about Joe Linder, uh, but I've done things on Evil Knievel and um, uh, local hockey people, and uh, we do all kinds of things. So it's, uh, we've got lots of fun stories I think your audience may enjoy. Yeah, that's, that's a name I haven't heard for a long time because I haven't listened to Lakes Football in a long time on the radio, but he always used to call the local football games too. So He still does. His, does he? Okay. Uh, he's, I think he's uh, a few years – he's getting close to retirement, but he's uh, – local football and hockey is his passion, and that's yep. – uh, so we, we're on uh, tomorrow. I'm 
last week, I, I forget what I talked about last week, but he gets me on every once in a while. I'm kind of his backup, his yeah. professor. <laughs> They're professor. <laughs> sure, sure. All right. Well, good holiday. Yep, you too. You thanks, for, thanks for coming oh, on. You too. Yep. Hey, Thank you. Welcome, Tim. Bye. Bye. All right. Well, everybody else is taking a break. I wanted to take a moment to touch on one thing. We fund everything at Tech Hockey Guide from our patrons. You can become one at patreon.com slash tech hockey guide. We'll be doing uh, quarterly or random Zoom chats with special guests. These monthly chats or random chats are available at the white level, which is just $2 a month. Our next Zoom chat will be December 21st at 9 p.m. Eastern with former Husky and current Norwich head coach Cam Ellsworth. Uh, for future ones, if you have anyone in mind that you'd like to suggest, please uh, let us know and we can see if we can line that up. Since the podcast has started, we've done extended versions of most of the episodes for our patrons at the black level or above, which is $5 a month. At the gold level, for $10 a month, you get access to everything I've mentioned previously, plus the Zoom video of our podcast before the rest is out. Usually how that goes is the Zoom chat will be out Tuesday mornings, the extended podcast will be out Wednesday morning, and the public podcast is out Thursday morning. Uh, We've pretty much stuck with that since we started. Um, You'll also get an authentic MTU jersey patch for being at the black level or above, but that's probably going to take me a while to get those since Exclusive Pro is so backed up with everything going on Like right now. We'll touch on that a little bit when we get to the Joe Show comments. Joe Show, yeah. (laughs) We're going to try something else this year. If you give a five-star rating, Dustin will read the review. Uh, You leave no matter what it says. So let's get ratings going on Apple Podcasts and see what you have to say. Uh, I guess that's it. Uh, So basically, I think we're just going to do two things here, plus let Dustin recap the uh, how the fantasy college hockey is going, but there's no games this weekend, or if there are, there's very few. So we're not going to do fantasy this weekend. Uh, so basically, we've just got a recap of the weekend against St. Thomas and then the Joe show. So let's let's talk about the weekend. But yeah, let's let's get into the hockey now. Matt, why I hated were you disappointed about, about Friday? <laughs> the reason I was disappointed in Friday and it's. It's hard to to come on here and say that I am upset in a six to one win, but a six to one win is what I think we should be doing against Ferris. A six to one win, I think, is like where acceptable begins for Michigan Tech against St. Thomas, because I still believe in my heart of hearts that St. Thomas is a Division three team that has a couple of fringe Division one players that are helping like bust them out a little bit. So, I mean, their goalie that they played on Friday night. I mean, was, he was lights out and tech had a billion North, shots. He was in North Dakota. He, he was recruited by North Dakota and he transferred from North Dakota. So I get it. But at the same time, like watching that whole first period and watching that whole game, I understand that their goalie might've bought him a few, but there were just several times where I felt like we were getting too cute. And I think that game could have easily been, 15 to nothing if we really capitalized on our chances. So I don't know if anybody's just... stopping that mighty ducks goal. I'm sorry. Cause that thing like knuckled the hole away in like, that's just a hard puck. I think for a goalie to like, pick I up understand. And understand. I understand that the shot itself, like I don't have too much of a problem with, 
Yeah. What I have a problem with is that it had a chance to get off. I think that Tech could have held this team to like five shots. I understand what you're saying, but the team basically just like didn't like I'm not going to say they didn't try, but they basically didn't run up the score in the third period. It was six nothing after two or six one after two. Yeah, I did. honestly the whole weekend I didn't even celebrate after goals. I just said, "There we go, neat, expected, should be happening." Yeah, but, like, but I, like, I don't understand that, how you're pissed other, off after you like, talk after the way you talked about Minnesota State running up the score and everything else. How you can be pissed off that Tech's up six one after two periods and then basically just spends the rest of the game kind of playing keep away. Like they're trying, but they're not trying. The problem is, is that kind of set them up for what the fuck happened on Saturday. But and I think that is my problem because I I understand where you're thinking of where you're trying to break down the mentality of how I can be pissed off that Tech's doing exactly what I wish Minnesota State would have done. But in a way, I kind of find it different because to me, I feel like if we're up by that much going into the second or going into the third rather, and we put in a backup goaltender. We play our third and fourth lines. We mix in some guys that have been playing a lot. Like I know we, to an extent, that was done. But yeah, he if, rolled four lines, but he still rolled four lines. Whereas normally, exactly. like Michigan Tech is rolling three lines in the third period, and the fourth line doesn't see much ice time at all. But I mean, through two periods, Michigan Tech has thirty-five shots, and St. Thomas has ten. Joe said on the show today that Michigan Tech gave up two scoring chances in that game. I don't understand how you can be mad. They were 50% on the power play. They didn't allow a penalty kill, uh, a, a, a power play goal against. They won the face-off battle. Like, they did everything right. I think the biggest, the one thing that I can say that you might have a point is the way they played the third period is the way they came out and tried to play Saturday, and it didn't work. Now, in the same um, token, yeah, go ahead, Dustin. I, I was just going to say, uh, I agree, Tim, and there's no reason to be mad at Friday night because there's plenty to save your anger for on Saturday <laughs> yeah, night. Yeah. And I think the <laughs> like, reason that like, I'm so mad about Saturday night is exactly what Tim said. The way they played that third period is what teed them up for Saturday. I feel like I feel it's just yeah, another, it's another right. classic situation of the, the biggest problem that I have with the Michigan Tech Huskies as I feel like we play to the level of our opponents. And there are situations where that makes us look incredible. We are step for step with Mankato and we're making them look we're making it look like we're gonna make a scary run at the end of the year. And then I think there's other times like Saturday where we decide to play to the level of St. Thomas and they almost burn us for it. Well I don't know yeah. if I don't, I don't think that happened Friday, but Saturday Saturday I don't know. I don't I don't yeah. necessarily agree with that assessment for Saturday either. But like when when Friday night's game was over, it really wasn't that fun of a game to be at. I mean, it was, but it wasn't because it was like, this is exactly what I want. Like, if you didn't do this, I'd be pissed off. And I spent most of Saturday night being pissed off. Like, Bob, I knew that's how the series was going to be. Like, Rob's dad series... actually got yeah. mad at me because I didn't stand up for the fight song one time because I was busy. I was completely zoned <laughs> out, like bitching on Discord about something. <laughs> and Bob went right into Discord and said, Tim, you don't even stand up for the fight song anymore? <laughs> I missed that. Well, so then, yeah, like, the next the time I that... stood up and did everything, and I was, like, waving right at him, and I look up, and he didn't get up for the fight song. 
Well, yeah, and that's always that's always fun stuff. But I think just going in like this, I just don't think this was fun time series and one that we look into and we're like, oh man, if we win this, it's gonna be a competitive matchup. It'll be really good for us. Like, oh, I mean, I, I even felt that it's a no win situation. It is right? no win. It's a no yeah, win. You either because you even... either do what's expected of you or you disappoint. Because I basically walked away from Friday night saying, look at that. We finally crushed a team we're supposed to. Like, we didn't play down to them. We literally beat the crap out of them on the scoreboard, on the stat sheet. Like, there's nothing about that game on paper that I look at. And, like, the biggest complaint is that they didn't score in the third, but they didn't need to. It's not like St. Thomas ever really threatened them. They only got two shots in the whole period. Like... It's it's a it, it's a great example of what tech can do when they don't play to their opponent. But Saturday's com- is is very different because I don't I wouldn't say that they let St. Thomas like they played to St. Thomas's level, but like they completely like Joe talked about this and we can kind of mix these two topics up. But like Joe talked a lot about how much we squandered our power play chances between just never really setting up and and then uh was it Kateroff that got the face-off violation penalty yeah and I thought it should have been it and that did happen and I thought it should have been pad the stats night I thought it should have been one of those things at the end of the year where it's like oh tech has like infinite number of goals on the power play and then some asshole on Twitter has to come back and say but oh they had like 12 against St. Thomas yeah but so it, like, well, yeah, know. I don't understand. Like, like it's not like Tech played a bad game. They still dominated the shots, and m- most of the game comes down to the fact that Bronte missed his breakaway. They failed on the power play and killed one of their own power plays. I don't. Do, does anybody understand faceoff violations? I don't understand that rule at all. Like, what did Kateroff do wrong? More. <laughs> So essentially there's there's an there's an etiquette to a face-off, whereas like the opponent the visiting team has to put a stick down first, then it's the home guy, then uh neither guy is allowed to move their stick until the ref releases the puck from his hand. And if either of them do, it's a warning. And if they do it again, then it's a penalty. And that's what happened to Kat So Rock. the visiting team gets to put his stick down first. Pretty much. Okay. And if they once they put their stick down like it's they actually it. it's it's a it's a well he, he can move it he just can't move it forward into the dock. Okay. Because like I literally watch like, 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 like when like the, the violation can. happened, I'm watching it going. What did he do differently than the St. Thomas guy? I didn't think it was. I thought that was the first time I really had a question about officiating because there was like the one uh, cross checking call where the St. Thomas player basically just backed up into the tag guy and that was somehow called against us and then. Yeah. I was yeah, also struggling to see. Bad. I was also struggling to see what Kateroff did that was different than the St. Thomas guy. I thought if anything, that face off, call it. Like I was sitting three rows up from that face off dot, so it was like fifteen feet from me. That whole thing, and I'm like, I don't understand what he did wrong that the other guy didn't. Like as soon as yeah, as soon as the well. ref, as soon as the linesman didn't drop the puck. I thought he was going to raise both hands because I thought they both violated and he just raised it on tech. And, and yeah, then, I didn't yeah. get that at all. I yeah. thought if anything, it should have been coincidental offsetting. Like, yeah. And for some reason it was just against Kateroff. That's why, that's why he sat there 
dumbfounded for like a good minute and i agree with that assessment yeah, okay. of the situation well that's fair because i didn't I, i've never understood that rule like but until now i've never cared about the rule because this is like last year was the first year of this rule right rob yeah and and yeah, before so. this rule it was very very rare that the guy that replaced the first guy would get called for a violation like i don't i think i remember it happening like once Whereas we've had that happen twice now where we've gotten a penalty this year on violating the faceoff. So now I care about the rule, like understanding what's happening to know. And it just seems like it's such a arbitrary thing um, to put on a linesman. Like that's the only time I can think of that. Like legitimately it's in the linesman's hands to call a penalty. I mean, obviously they can at other times, but they rarely do. Um so it just puts a lot on them, if you ask me. But, um, like, yeah, I I would not have been happy to walk away from this game winning 3-1 if they had been able, or 4-1 with an empty netter um, when they pulled the goalie. Like, I still would have been upset, but I obviously would have been happier now because our pairwise would have looked better. I tried to look up what it would be, but that calculator's oh, still nice. wrong. Um, I still would have been yeah. pissed off, but I wouldn't have up. been like, no, I wouldn't have turned into like full toxic boomer in the <laughs> THG chat. Like I did, like I felt, I was like, damn, is this what it feels like to be old in here all the time and not have it like a discernible difference between liking the team and liking the bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We all like, turned into bows for one night. Right guys. Oh yeah. <laughs> enjoy that. It seemed to me, it seemed to me listening that, they just never seemed to play with any kind of sense of urgency. I agree with that. On Saturday, it was just, it was just all. I mean, just going through the motions is what it it seemed like. I think the effort was there, but it never felt like, other than like Missyak and Hallen and had a night. Hallen and. Allen and just when he was on the ice, he was taking he decided, over. And he just decided. He, yeah, he decided that he decided that. him like by himself that that game was not going to get lost. And I deeply yeah. appreciate him for that. He yeah. was a big time bright spot on the night. Like, yeah, I'd say I'd say Missyak, Hallinan, and Mossley maybe were like the three guys that stuck out to me that like seemed like they still had that extra gear to put in that extra effort to go chase down a puck, whereas the rest of the guys. I wouldn't say they're going through the motions, but it, it just felt like th- that that just that extra half a step was never there. That ur- like you said, the urgency just wasn't there. Like they just felt like they could pull it off. I don't know because it wasn't like they weren't trying. At some they point, still got. If you, yeah. if you if if you come into it thinking that you're going to you know, do what you did the night before, right, and win easily. And, and you know, despite Matt's concerns about Friday night, it was an easy win. It was six-one. It wasn't close yeah. at any if point. You come it into it close, thinking, yeah. yeah, if you come into it thinking that at some point on Saturday night, as a as a competitor, you need to flip the switch and say, "This is no longer." I mean, this isn't going to be an That's easy too late. win, and you need to find That's that extra gear. But they they found it against Ferris after the bad first period the problem for them they did uh why does it take going down by three no but but the problem with this game is the they didn't score enough but the mistakes 
that caused it to be close happened at the very end, so you can't recover and win in regulation well, like they did. The other thing, too, is that one of their goals was pretty fluke. I mean, off the stanchion right back to the guy just sucks. Granted, we shouldn't be in that position to start no. with. But what that I'm, rebound was that, was that, the, was that yes. to make what it two or to make it three? I don't remember. But it was one was. of the clearing attempts on the extra attacker, right? One of the two? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. hit the stanchion and bounced yeah, back. What I'm saying is, if it's a two-goal game midway through the game, there needs to be some, you know, you need to understand that in that situation that it doesn't matter who you're playing. Yeah. They're in the game. If yeah, you let them stay in the game. Because you can unlike see Friday night. Because right. Friday night, so that you, knuckle you puck need... doesn't mean anything because it's what's it's four mm-hmm. one or five one at the time it happens. Like it's it's a different. Like you just shake it off and go. All right, let's not let them do it again, right? And and you can you can win despite that weird moment that allowed St. Thomas a goal. Whereas Saturday night, because they failed on the break breakaway, because they couldn't do anything on the penalty kill against the 58th best penalty kill in the country. It's just disappointing that uh, like, I think old dog said it on the discord, like he was hoping for six good periods and I don't remember what he said he got, but it felt like we got three and a half of them like Saturday night. Just they, they didn't put together a complete period at any point that second period was the typical Michigan Tech second period of this season where they just don't something weird happens and they just don't have it. Um, and they let yeah, Samus Thomas hang around and and they paid for it with those two extra attacker goals. Um, I don't really understand. Like I understand that you're shorthanded, but I don't understand how you leave Versich alone on the back door. I don't either, but the one thing that I want to plug really quick is look at what happens when you get an opportunity to pull the goalie early in the offensive zone and have a chance to do it. I think that that was extremely smart coaching by Rigo Blase, and I think that's something that the tech staff should pull out of his book. Well, Because, like I said, I was between games, I was watching the the Growlers game against Trois-Rivières, and Trois-Rivières – ended up pulling their goalie with like eight minutes left when they had a power play when they were up like, or when they were down like five to two and they ended up like coming pretty much all the way back doing it. So like, I know this has been my sticking point, like the whole season, but look at what happens when you get a chance in the offensive zone to pull the goalie early. Like if, if we do that with like three fifteen left against Mankato, maybe that's a different game. Could be. I mean, yeah, yeah. I think you're 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 right on the you're right on the logic. You're right on the the game theory part of it, in my opinion. But I mean, you you who knows what happens if they pull it against Mankato? But yeah, we can what if it's you probably death. give yourself you, you you probably give yourself a you know percentage few percentage points higher chance of winning the game or tying the game if you do. Yeah, and we can what about it all day. But to me, the statistics day. If we've got an opportunity with four minutes left down by one in the offensive zone, then that's the situation where the goalie needs to be gone. The extra tanker needs to be on. And I think St. Thomas proved that in spades against us. Although the biggest thing is we need, we need to score with the empty net. You can't leave an empty net out there that long and not score a goal yourself. Yeah. There's that's the flip side of it also. Yeah. And Tim mentioned it last week, but um, 
maybe Crazy Frank wasn't quite so as crazy as everybody oh, thought he's he was. Oh, he's not. There's what is it? Um, isn't there like a? Oh, I I gotta find it now. But I listened to a podcast that was all about how like the number one paper on some like scientific research website is the game theory of when to pull your goalie, and the theory is basically when you're losing. It doesn't right. matter. Crazy it doesn't matter all the time. <laughs> if you fall behind one nothing in the first period, game theory says pull your goalie. And if you go behind two nothing because right. you gave up an empty netter, game theory says keep your goalie pulled. <laughs> like basically, game theory <laughs> says if you have an offensive zone faceoff and you are losing the game, pull your goalie. Well, it's interesting. Like you, there are some sports where it's a lot more common too. Like you watch, I'm watching handball in the Olympics, yeah. right? That goalie subs off a lot yeah. of the times. Or, um, oh, what else was it? There's one other sport that they were doing it a lot too. Like the goalie just keeps disappearing. What the hell? <laughs> Anything else from the Joe Show that we want to talk about? Um. The only thing that I really want to put out there is he kind of took it on the chin. He knows that Friday is or Saturday rather is just not what we're looking for going forward. Like I, I don't always agree with the verbiage he uses to kind of. He kind of, he kind of takes the responsibility yet still like he'll take the response. Like it gets difficult when you listen to him in two or three places. Cause he definitely takes responsibility but then he turns around and like also blames the players. But I get what he's saying. We're like, whatever the players do is my responsibility to, to work on and correct and find a way to get what I want out of them. Um, yeah. And we actually, I don't, I don't have a problem with him blaming the players. If he's doing it respectfully, he's giving them the same message in the locker yeah. room and he does it in a way that is constructive. No, I agree. Because when it comes down to it is the players are playing the game. The players are the ones that need to stop the puck and score score goals. And it, it comes down to the players. Mm-hmm. It's all about how he delivers it, right? And that, that's the same for every coach. Yeah. Some of the best coaches can blame their players and put it on them, but they do it in a way that is respectful and informative and is not – it doesn't cause issues and their players respect them for that. that. That's the key. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. Other than that, it was just a whole lot of talking to John Scott, which was always cool, but I felt like it was kind of a bad time to do it. Yeah. It didn't really fit. It would have been a whole lot easier to take that. If tech had swept it was the easy sweep, like, we were yeah. expecting it to yeah. be. Yeah. So we did have two other questions that both kind of roll into what we just talked about. And they're both from the same person. Andy Bordeaux wants to know, uh, why do we as fans think it's acceptable to allow our staff to have a team not able to perform against the low end teams? MTU corrected it when it happened in the first night versus fair state, but it cost us against St. Thomas. Uh, and then his second question is kind of about that too, but we can answer the first one first if you guys want. Short answer for me is, is he asking, I just don't. He basically thinks Joe is, should is be he fired. Asking, I mean, yeah. I, I You don't fire a coach over you one don't. game. I mean, it's... And, 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 and I mean, regardless, the fact that they lost that game in regulation is rather fluky because 
they had a two goal lead with what six minutes left and gave up two extra attacker goals. That's rather fluky and pretty random. Now, yes, it a lot of it has to do with how they played, and no, they should have never been in that situation against St. Thomas. But you go look at St. Thomas's season, and in three quarters of their games, they play two good periods. They do. So that's not that surprising. They kept that it close the with Bemidji the, the week before yeah. for you know for a couple yeah. of periods. The problem is, is Tech never found that next gear in the third period to put them away when they needed to, or didn't blow them out in the first and the second, and let them hang that's around true. and let them be that close. But I mean, how many times? How many times have you been at a game and watched the team come back from two goals with five minutes left? I mean, that's true, and I think I can count on my hands times... like four times. A lot of times people come to hockey from a game where the numbers point to what the result should be. Baseball is especially one of those games where a pitcher with a low ERA is going to be a pitcher that doesn't leave a lot of runs out on the scoreboard is going to be the team that should win. Hockey is a game where the numbers can make absolutely no goddamn sense at all. So like. Yeah. Just because we outshot them 44 to 20 or whatever the hell it was doesn't on Saturday mean, however, doesn't mean we're going to win three to or four to two. And for numbers, people like a lot of tech fans are that can frustrate the shit out of us. And I get that. Yeah. But like, Dustin but it doesn't said, frustrate us when we win a game three to two, but get outshot 40 to 15. Exactly. And that's another, that's the other side of that where in hockey, hockey's not a game where the statistics always are, are pretty reliably point to the result to the extent of a lot of other games. I agree. So I think that, like Dustin said, and Dustin is one of the harshest Joe Sean like criticizers that we have on the podcast. One one game where these these flukes are happening is not a season make. I think that Dustin's still not on the Joe Sean train, but he's not going to use this one particular game to go out and get his pitchfork. And I'm not. I mean, I I, I would say that I'm you know, for the most part, positive over the way the season has gone so far. I don't have any major beefs with the way Sean has coached this year. I think he's doing a good job. I was annoyed. Obviously, listen to the podcast. I was annoyed last year. I, I thought there were issues. I think a lot of the things that bothered me last year, they seem to be corrected. They, I don't see the same things. It was mentioned, you know, how do we stay the question was, you know, what? Why are we playing down to lower level opponents? Essentially, is what he was asking, right? And and how is that acceptable? That's his next question. Andy also right. wants to know how how can you consider this team a contender when they cannot beat St. Thomas in regulation? Uh, are we not allow? Are we are we not all embarrassed by this? Um, Mankato lost to Ferris. I know it, it, it happens. That's it, not it, my point, though. That last year, of... t- t- Tech did this. E- every game against lower level opponents last year. Look, yeah. Think of every game that they played against Huntsville last year that we were frustrated about. Right? Yeah. Right. And that, that was basically my point about, I didn't get Matt's complaint about Friday because last year we never did that against Huntsville or Ferris. We didn't blow them out. They were close every time and we didn't win them all either. Didn't we lose to Huntsville last year? I don't remember, but that sounds like something that we would have done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right to give Huntsville a parting gift. But yeah, I guess on this podcast, you do kind of get the, the duality of Matt and what I expect out of a hockey game. 
yeah. <laughs> yeah it's pretty um, it's pretty odd for you to be on this train and i think it's all about you wanting to just be able to rip on saint thomas while you can and you didn't get to this weekend that's that's part of it but i still <laughs> i still and the bottom line for me is i'm embarrassed about the way the weekend went but that doesn't mean i'm embarrassed to be a huskies fan at this on this date in history i i, I think the reason why i am not you know overly upset is if you look at the season as a whole first half of the season it i i think the team is better than the win loss record shows by based on all the overtime losses they've been very very competitive they've been very competitive against good teams and great teams they yeah they they lost two games to mankato but they were in that series the entire time. Look, look what Mankato did to Bemidji last week. They yeah. on Friday night. They just they steamrolled them. Bemidji wasn't even in the same building as Mankato last Friday night. Which is what could have happened to us Friday, because that was mm-hmm. a lot of that was on Pietala and getting enough and not letting them like not letting them score on all their chances. But yeah, we talked about that in the, the chat too, where it's like last weekend looks a whole lot better after you see what minnesota state did to bemidji but did bemidji have like five shots on goal in the game something like that six yeah like and nobody does that to bemidji at bemidji that's unheard of yeah and we did that in mankato like right uh so yeah the the season the season as a whole i i think the team is competitive i think the team is good i don't i don't think that this one game is a is an indicator of the season's you know, success success for the team for the entire season. I'm I'm hoping that it's a blip, right? I'm hoping Maybe. it's a wake up call to play the whole game and and uh, and the if other thing we, we have need to, remember, to go out and dust Michigan. Then I'm all about it. Yeah, but like <laughs> I think the other thing we have to remember, and I know it shouldn't matter as much as it ended up, but we didn't have Bliss Saturday for whatever reason. Um. But yeah, like Dustin said, I think the biggest thing you look at is we're 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 nine three and five on the season. If you if you just stop at sixty minutes, um, we're still fourteenth in the pairwise. That game cost us what did I see a hundred and seven fifty six fifty we were fifty six fifty eight. Yeah, it so wasn't just that game either. What? No, I Clark's looked at no, I didn't looked... swept. Clark's yeah, getting swept by Arizona I, State. Hurts I know it's not. A lot. I know it's not specifically that game, but I can't go do that because their thing doesn't know, fucking work. I know, but there's a. There's, I mean, there's way too many variables to. Just... But it, but it from from the end of hockey on Friday to the end of hockey on Saturday, Michigan Tech lost 107 points on their RPI, mm-hmm. and dropped two spots, uh, which is that makes me very happy. Hey, but the other but thing we raised like now, three spots in the polls though. Uh, yeah yeah that, i i literally replied to every tweet i saw about the polls today with uh with the drew carey uh uh line yeah, from whose line is he, yeah the points don't like the what is it welcome to whose line is it anyway where the yeah games are something and the points don't matter yeah the games are made up and the points don't matter so yeah basically is. because it's like this is the week you choose to put tech back in the poll. Really, guys? Come on. Right. <laughs> uh, to me, it just goes to show you that. I'll take um, it. But yeah, well, I, somebody did point no out that we actually got 18th with less points than we had last week. So I think it's yeah. more a matter of enough teams around that range lost that 
a bunch of teams just got more even. Well, Northern got waxed, so like that's a problem. Uh, but yeah, like if you had told me Michigan Tech would be going into the break a point out of second place in the conference and nine, three, and five, I think I'd be pretty damn happy with that going into the GLI. I would be like, yeah, that's it's all right, but I'm hoping for a better second half. Well, there's no doubt about that, but that's no. Joe. That's how Joe does his teams. His team is supposed to get better as the season goes on. That's what. That's how you win the conference tournament. That's Joe has always said that the season is about have being your best at the end. So, being here now while you're trying to, you know, work through all this, and yes, I know this is an experienced team and. The other thing that Joe mentioned on the Joe show that we should mention is apparently Pedersen had another setback, another injury. Yeah. So that's why he mm. didn't play this weekend. Um, so that's been very frustrating for me because I do think he can be a difference maker and I can't wait to like see him and, and Kataroth get to do, get out there together and throw, throw the two of them with another big guy and watch them like crush everybody and just muscle their Trash way around. Everybody. Swedish. Yeah. yeah. Sweet. That'd be fun. Hopefully none of the linesmen know Swedish, so so they can't penalize them for talking too much trash. They need, um, they need to be they need to be back for this Michigan game because they're what's his name? Their goalie is Swedish, so they can is, talk is that, shit to him. Is that goalie even gonna be here? I don't know who's the world. Well, he's been around goalie. a while. I think he's too old now for okay. juniors. All right. I think I don't know for sure. All right. Anything else, guys? No, I think it's about time to summarize fantasy and get on our way. All right. All right. So just uh, real quick on the fantasy thing. We're going to put a pause on the fantasy game for this week. Let's just call it the end of the first half of the season. I'm hoping that we'll get something put together for holiday tournaments for the fantasy challenge. And we should be able to do that next week, I think. Summary from last week, uh, pretty competitive between all five of us. Uh, Tim led the week with six points. He got two goals, uh, with one being a game-winning and power play goal from Ethan Frank on Friday night, uh, and followed it up by being blanked on Saturday, but still good enough for six points. Weren't they? Yeah, they're shut out. Yeah, but uh, yeah, good enough for six points. I got second on the week. Taylor Ward was my guy, Nebraska Omaha. He had a power play goal on. Friday and an assist on Saturday for four points. Does that mean we're tied now? No. Oh, you're still. I had a big lead. I'm I'm up uh, by seven. I know. Okay. The ghost and Rob tied with three points. With Matt coming in with two points on the week. I thought I saw the ghost didn't have any. Damn it. No. (laughs) Ghost had ghost was blanked on Friday, but he got a power play goal on. Damn it. Yeah, this is what I get for picking the Michigan guy. Yeah, you picked Michigan is, guy. I, I, I gave yeah. Tim garbage I, I, for it, did the same thing, and yep. I am I am yep. eating my medicine for it. Yep. I'm but you only lost one point. Yeah, you only lost one point to the ghost. So you're 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 still fine. I know, but it aren't, doesn't that mean I'm two behind the ghost? Because I was one behind last week. You're now two behind the ghost. Yeah. The overall standings did not change. I'm your first, then Tim, Rob, Ghost, and Matt. One minute remaining in the podcast. All right. Well, that should do it for this episode of the Chasing McNaughton podcast. Please check out our Patreon and join by visiting patreon.com slash techhockeyguide.
uh, I already read all that stuff. So you guys can listen earlier if you want to hear the rest of that. Uh, let's see. Once again, thanks to our sponsor, Fibke Dental in Rhinelander, Wisconsin. And as always, special thanks to Mitch Lake for recording our new introduction and our patron saint, Doc McRezen, for his generous donation to get this thing running. We hope you enjoy. Finally, thanks to the thank you notes for all the bumpers in this week's episode. If you like what you hear, check them out at thethankyounotes.bandcamp.com. been listening to the chasing mcnaughton podcast presented by tech hockey guide covering the michigan tech huskies and the ccha